Thank you for joining me again for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. I appreciate the continued support. As always, if you have questions, comments, or if you'd like to make a suggestion, please do write to me at carlareadstheclassics at gmail.com. And now, let's see what the children are up to now in Theodore Pratt's The Money, Segment 19. Just because the other musketeers didn't think he could buy a camel, Joey resolved, didn't mean he couldn't. He knew he could, and he was about to buy it. He didn't care this morning about the rule that there had to be three of them present when the door of the clubhouse was unlocked and anyone went in. Let them holler. Let them go ahead and holler. He had, nevertheless, come early, very early, a little after seven, to go in by himself using his key and he took the precaution of shutting the door after he was in just in case anybody was watching and would see he found the matches and lighted the candle he took up the shovel which was kept in one corner he turned over the president's chair bearing the place where the box was buried he dug and dug some more and the box came into view joey ripped off the string and the seals front and back the residue he put in his pocket of, of his shorts so as not to leave any evidence behind he put the money-box on the president's chair opened it and studied the thick packets of bills he took one up and then another he discarded both and went deeper he came across the packet that had the slip of paper beneath it, it beneath its rubber band marked three thousand dollars that's what he looked for a camel must cost a lot, but he figured that would be enough. He put the other packets back in the box and closed the lid. He found the string and another candle and tied a piece of string around the box in the same way George did. Then he lighted the second candle and tried to drip wax where the string was tied on one side and crossed on the other side that would look like the seals he had destroyed he buried the box again in its usual spot and smoothed the earth over the place he replaced the president's chair over it and put back the second candle and the ball of twine in their places he looked around and then blew out the burning candle he went out and closed and locked the door joey didn't think the money packet folded made a big enough bulge in the back of his pocket to be noticed it could be anything there he walked out of Buckingham Hills, thinking, Wait until I come back riding my camel. Just wait. On the bus, there were some people from the hills going to work who knew him. They spoke to him and glanced at him for being on the bus so early, but they didn't say anything. In the city, he knew where to get the other bus going out to the zoo. He had gone several times before. But when he arrived at the gates, he found the zoo wasn't open yet. A sign said it opened at nine o'clock. He had forgotten that. He would have nearly an hour to wait. He didn't mind. He found a bench and sat on it. The bulge of money in his pocket pressed against the back of the bench. While he was sitting there waiting for the zoo to open, it occurred to him that he had better get rid of the string and candle grease that clung to it that he had removed from the money box. He extracted this from his pocket, got up, and dutifully went over to a waste can nearby and put it in this. Then he returned to the bench. Although a few more people came to wait, there were not many when nine o'clock came and a man appeared at the turnstiles of the entrance and unlocked them. Joey was the first one in. He knew where to go to see the camels and he headed right for the location. 
On the way, he passed the lion cage and he stopped to look at them, wondering if he should have chosen a lion instead of a camel. He decided against them when a big male lion opened its mouth wide and gave out a good loud roar. He arrived at the barred camel enclosures. There they were, and they were all out in their yards. He looked them over carefully, admiring two single-humped ones in a yard by themselves, looking at more of the same kind in a yard next door to them, and then going on to where the two-humped ones had their enclosures. It was these Joey admired most. If you were going to have a camel, you might as have one. You might as well have one with two humps. The humps of these might not be quite as big as those with one hump, one hump, but they had two. Which was what counted, and it ought to be easier to ride one with two humps, which provided not only a backrest but a place to hold on in front. He stood there admiring the great long muzzles of the beasts, their big knobby knees, and their large limpid eyes, which did not look stupid to him but loving and endearing. A man in a dark blue uniform with gold buttons and a blue cap came along, and Joey accosted him with no preliminaries. Are you the keeper? The man stopped and indulgently said, "Well, I'm one of them." The head keeper? The man shook his head. Just one of the keepers, son. Do you know about the camels? Yes, I know about them. What do you want to know? About getting one? Well, we get them from different places in the world. For instance, the single hump camel over there comes from the Arabian countries, where he's used for many things. Travel, food, hides, milk. Did you know the camel is known as the ship of the desert? I read that. The keeper pointed to the enclosure in front of them. The double-humped one comes from Central Asia and is known as the Bactrian camel. As if commenting on the name he had been called, the camel nearest to them suddenly gave a loud, bubbling complaint. "What's the matter with him?" asked Joey. Well, he's looking at the lady camel in the next enclosure. Oh, the man looked down at Joey and inquired, "You've heard of camel's hair?" Sure, the man lectured. Camels are shorn and their hair woven into cloth. It's quite expensive, and the best kind of brushes are made from camel's hair. This was all very interesting, but it wasn't the kind of information Joey wanted. About getting one, I've told you how we get them. The man smiled and made a movement as if to leave. I don't mean getting one like that. I mean getting me one. The man stopped. You getting one, for myself. The man smiled even more and gave a chuckle. What would you do with a camel? I'd ride it home and keep it. Well, now, son, which one do you want? Joey pointed to Two Hump in front of them, the one which had burbled a complaint. I like that one. Then we'll give him to you. Joey's eyes opened wide. You mean you will? Right now. The man was laughing good-naturedly. Joey then caught on that he didn't mean what he said. I guess you can't do that. I wish we could for anybody who likes camels as much as you do. If you can't do that, Joey proposed, can you sell me one? Sometimes we sell to another zoo or dealer. Sometimes we buy and sometimes we trade. No, I mean sell one to me, son. Do you have any idea what a camel costs? I guess they're pretty expensive. Do you know what a thousand dollars is?
Joey nodded. He knew. It would cost several thousand dollars. All right, said Joey. The man stared at him. What do you mean, all right? I'll take one. Him, he pointed to Two Hump. The uniform keeper acted as if drawn between two things to do, one of which might have been to walk away then, and the other to indulge the young man further. He looked at the angel eyes before him and chose the latter. "'If you'll just give me the money,' he suggested. Joey reached toward his back pocket. He had an instant of hesitation, instinctively realizing this was a moment of commitment when the man saw the money. He thought of the box back in the ground at the clubhouse and felt his present action might affect that. But he also saw the lovely moist muzzle and great liquid eyes of the two-hump looking at him through the bars only a few yards away, as if imploring him to go with him, and he took out the money. He held it out toward the man. The keeper looked at it. He reached out a hand to touch it, then didn't. Instead, he laughed again, loudly this time. They're sure making that kid play money look real these days, even making it look old. But this is, I'll tell you what, son, we couldn't sell you a camel anyway, so you go take your money and buy something with it that it will buy. This isn't, with a still louder laugh than ever, the keeper turned and went down the path and away, leaving Joey alone. He made a slight offering movement with the money and then, sadly, drew in his hand. Slowly he returned it to his pocket. He didn't see what the use was of having money if you couldn't buy what you wanted with it and if people wouldn't even believe it was real. He looked at Two Hump. He couldn't have him. He couldn't have any camel. He couldn't go back riding grandly to the clubhouse, mounted between the two humps and swaying and being admired and envied by the other, musket the other musketeers. He turned, bitterly disappointed from Two Hump, and walked away. He considered visiting the other animals in the rest of the zoo as long as he was there, but after his failure he didn't have the heart for it. He felt the money in his back pocket and realized he still had it. It seemed to burn there now. It might have been one thing if he had, ri if he had arrived back riding to Hump, but it was another that he still had the money. Something had to be done about that before it was missed. He'd put it back in the box and nobody would know anything about it. He'd better return and do that right away. When he reached the hills and walked over to Oxford and looked down it, from there being able to see the clubhouse, he saw that the flag was up and the door was closed. He knew the others were inside playing the TV. He couldn't get the money back right now, and he'd better not go near the clubhouse. Instead, he went home, hoping they wouldn't look in the box today. That brings us to the end of segment 19. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.